um, is David Wagoner, and uh, it's in a book called The Heart Aroused, Poetry and the Preservation of the Soul in Corporate America by David White. So the poem is called Lost. Stand still. The trees ahead and the bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is called here, and you must treat it as a powerful stranger, must ask permission to know it and be known. The forest breathes. Listen. It answers, I have made this place around you. If you leave it, you may come back again, saying, here. No two trees are the same to raven. No two branches are the same to wren. If what a tree or a bush does is lost on you, you are surely lost. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. You must let it find you. <clears throat> I'd like to speak a bit about um, how we practice in our lives, how we make <coughs> practice our lives, and our lives our practice. <clears throat> there, are, um, there are three important aspects to how we live our practice, and then there's a preliminary teaching. <coughs> When somebody would come to the Buddha and say, I want to follow you and I want to learn your teachings, usually the first thing he would teach is generosity. <clears throat> when we practice generosity, we're implicit <coughs> implicitly acknowledging the truth of interbeing, of our interrelatedness with all life. When we share what we have, our resources, our time, our skills with others, it breaks down that wall of fear that says, I don't have enough, I am not enough, and and helps us to learn that we're needed, we belong, we're part of life, and we need others as well. Part of generosity is not only learning to give, but also to receive, to receive uh, with gratitude, with humility, with an open heart, um, really we can be moved by the generosity of those around us. I remember hearing 
on the radio once about um, somebody who uh, offered their kidney, one of their kidneys to somebody that they didn't know. They just knew that that person needed a kidney. And, um, and so they, they gave it, you know, they, they offered it. Um, it's like, wow, <laughs> wow. I don't know, that's, that's really pretty amazing, pretty deeply generous. <clears throat> so after generosity, and there's so many opportunities to be generous in, in just even small ways, <coughs> uh, sharing a smile, you know, looking the cashier in the eye and, you know, and smiling and say, how you doing? You know, that's acknowledging our shared humanity. And, um, and people who do service, service jobs, um, I think often can experience some of the worst of human behavior. <laughs> And uh, and I think it's it's good. I feel I'd like to you know kind of balance things out and uh, and just yeah just share that moment of uh, of our common humanity. Uh, it, it nourishes me too. So after generosity, um, the Buddha would normally teach ethics. And uh, we, we spoke together um, a version, I think quite a lovely version, of the uh, five precepts. And these are things that we can, <coughs> we can practice in our daily lives. Um, you know, not to take what's not freely offered. So sometimes... Uh, we we assume, oh well, you know, I can I can take some some photocopy paper from the office, you know, nobody'll miss it. It's not a big deal. Uh, yeah, but you know, maybe maybe we feel inside not quite right. Um, you know, if. Uh, we borrowed something and, and then a book or something and then we notice, oh, that's still on my shelf. Um, it's good to give it back. It kind of, it kind of uh, affirms a certain standard of, of honesty and um, integrity. being aware of the impact that, you know, how we, how we dress and, and, uh, and how we act toward others in terms of our sexuality. And, um, you know, uh, so in some places, certain kinds of dress and behavior is uh, perhaps 
bringing in a dimension of sexuality that isn't appropriate for that place. It's not that we need to hide our bodies, but but being aware of the appropriateness and 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 in relationships with colleagues and um, you know just being aware of what can create harm, what can create a sense of uncertainty around you know the how what the relationship is and um, kind of taking care in that not to create uh, anxiety or harm or um, uncertainty about what our intentions are and of course uh, not killing so you know, can can we live with that spider in our house? Is that okay? <laughs> uh, just staying in a little corner there. Um, yeah. So, so really exploring these these precepts and what they mean for us. And and the thing about the precepts is they're not a list of do's and don'ts. They're not commandments. They're not five commandments. Uh, they are um, training guidelines. So, so for some people that might mean, you know, uh, the fifth precept about intoxicants might mean um, not not using any intoxicants, not drinking any wine or beer or. Um, or I could say it out loud, smoking weed. <laughs> it's legal. <laughs> uh, and for other people, it might mean, um, uh, you know, using it in a way that is um, heedful and um, moderate and, and uh, not using it, you know, um, kind of as an excuse to behave in a way that is uh, um, not mindful. So that's, that, that's the main thing about um, intoxicants, is that uh, they can cause heed heedlessness in the mind. So, and, <coughs> then, and then when we, ha when we feel intoxicated, then maybe we say things that could be uh, hurtful or or a little p pushing the boundaries. <coughs> you might take things that weren't offered and so on. So so it's really in the service of mindfulness and heedfulness that we moderate our, our use of intoxicants. Um, and and teachers have different suggestions about that. You know, Thich Nhat Hanh is very clear about you know no no intoxicants, no um, no uh, liquor or spirits or drugs of any kind. And uh, and other teachers, you know, like me, like what I described, uh, use it as a training guideline. Um, and notice the effect it, the impact it has on, on 
your alertness and awareness. Um, so, so that's uh, so generosity. Um, the word in Pali is dana. Um, so, <coughs> morality or virtue. The word is sila. Um, and uh, and the next kind of a, the three the the eightfold path, which is you know, part of the most basic teaching in Buddhism, the, the Four Noble Truths, which talks about how we suffer and create suffering and perpetuate suffering in our lives and, and how we become free of suffering. So, so the, um, uh, the next of the, uh, sort of the legs of this three-legged stool is meditation. Um, so, so meditation uh, is talked about in terms of mindfulness <coughs> and concentration, so or or tranquility. Uh, so, concentration is kind of built on tranquility. So, con so concentration <coughs> helps mindfulness and and mind and. Um, and mindfulness helps concentration. So, um, so this is this is a really important part of of our daily life practice, and it's how we stay clear and focused, uh, attentive, heedful uh, in our daily lives. What's driving us? What's what's coming up? Is there um, is there reactivity happening? Am I about to say something that I know will actually cause harm? <coughs> um, or about to do something? Thinking, contemplating, doing something. Uh, so, so mindfulness and, uh, and concentration, um, sati and jhana, are uh, are very important parts, and not that we necessarily cultivate, you know, these absorptive practices, but but just learning to collect the mind is part of our daily sit. You know, just collecting the mind, fully arriving. You know, when you begin your sitting, it's those those opening <coughs> phrases are really important to help us settle down, and. Uh, Settling the body on the earth, bringing mindfulness to the fore, collecting the mind around the breath. So, um, so, so this is really important, and you know, it's many people find it hard to establish a daily practice. You know, I, I certainly found it hard in the beginning. It was when I started going on retreats, and I noticed how beneficial meditation was to me and how much more uh, sense of freedom and peace I had in my life and, and developing equanimity um, you know it, it felt really precious like oh, I need to do this um, and so 
So I, I, it took me some time, but I created a, a kind of dedicated space in my home. Uh, and so I go there and it, it helps, it's conducive to, to just settling into the practice. And I, you know, personally I, I begin my practice with um, some bowing and I take the refuges, um, do a little bit of chanting and and uh, I've been really focusing on practicing the Anapanasati. Um, so, you know, you have the guided meditations. Um, and, uh, and I always close my practice with a dedication, dedicating the goodness, the blessing of my practice to the benefit of all. And, um, yeah, there are two books uh, that are come that uh, one of which is published and another is uh, coming out in the fall um, by Bhikkhu Analyo. Uh, so one is on the Satipatthana, and he's written uh, several books on the Satipatthana, but this one is is called a Practice Guide, and it comes with some guided meditations, as well as teaching on the Satipatthana, and um, and it's. You know, he's kind of pared down the Satipatthana, uh, and it's very accessible. So, so, and it's a very good kind of Dharma um, foundation if you would like to uh, really develop a dar- your Dharma foundation. And then the, the next one uh, is on the Anapanasati, and it's probably going to be called on a Panasati, a practice guide, or something like that. He's, he's not very fancy in, in the way he, uh, he names things. He's very direct and, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I and the, the group, uh, the LHW group that has been working with the Anapanasati have been working with his guided meditations and they're, they're, quite, uh, they're quite wonderful. They give a clear foundation for um, how we meditate with the discourse. So, so those could be, if you're interested in, in working with a text, those could be um, something very useful for you. Um, and then the third, uh, the third of the kind of legs of the stool are, is um, is the wisdom factor so um, panya wisdom so learning um, <coughs> learning uh, developing insight and those texts of course will be very helpful I recommend starting with the Satipatthana if you haven't ever worked with that with that discourse um, and um, so, so the, the wisdom teachings, insight into impermanence, insight into um, dukkha or the unreliability of conditioned experience, insight into the contingent nature, the non-self, the interbeing nature of, of everything that we live and we experience. So these, these are deep teachings and they they're transformative as we contemplate them in our lives and 
and realize that um, that we are deeply interconnected to all other human beings and all life forms. Um, <coughs> we can kind of push that out of our consciousness. We can push push that aside and and live in denial of that and and you know kind of. Uh, use all kinds of uh, things that are just, you, th- you know, kind of, you throw, like a thro- the throwaway culture, you know, the, the throwaway me- means of consuming, but, but those are, those, that has an impact <coughs> on our world when we just use throwaway, you know, whether it's throwaway food or, you know, throwaway clothing. Um, it uh, has an impact. It has an impact on those who produce that food. It has an impact on the earth, and it has an impact on us. So, so living wisely, uh, really deeply understanding the wisdom teachings and and putting them into practice. Um, you know, living with integrity. <clears throat> so, uh, so those are some, you know, basic approaches that you can explore uh, if you're not already. Um, maybe some, some resources. Uh, a really important part of of practice also is uh, is sangha, you know. Of course, is the Buddha and the Dharma. So, the Buddha is not only um, respecting that this human being came to awakening, but also respecting that we too are capable of that. That we have that capacity and and respecting ourselves in that way that we have the capacity to wake up and become you know, free free from suffering liberated from uh, the reactivity that that drives us so uh, it's you know to whatever ex- extent we accomplish that and um, you know whether it's complete awakening and freedom or, or simply becoming more free, you know, more awake. So um, just one step at a time, one day at a time, one breath at a time. So, so and the Dharma, the Buddha said, if you know the Dharma, you know me. And the Dharma are the teachings of the Buddha and of other teachers, uh, other awakened teachers, whether they're completely awakened or somewhat awakened. Um, when we there's there are teachers that have a lot to share with us, and um, and so you know taking taking advantage of this. Uh, 
this, this, the richness of the teachings that are available to us. And, um, and Sangha, so Sangha was what I really wanted to talk about. It's not everybody has access to a community. Um, so, uh, so Sangha, you know, is, uh, um, <coughs> Sangha is very supportive because we, in a way, we are uh, going against the stream, um, an expression that the Buddha used, um, <coughs> that we're living in a way which is, you know, and especially in our culture, this very consumer-oriented culture, it's it's uh, countercultural, so so having a community is really important. So um, yeah, and 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 even if there's not a practice community where you live, there are to a certain extent ways of connecting online with a teacher, uh, with, with other people in an online community. So um, it's not the same as, you know, having a, an in-person community, uh, and, and it is still something that can be very helpful. Uh, yeah, there, there, are, uh, there are four or five people who took uh, one of the LHW courses years ago, and they formed a little reading group, and um, and that 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 became you know kind of sangha for them. Just a couple of them lived in kind of remote areas, so um, so that you know that's uh, that's something that also can evolve. So. Um, so I'd like to leave room for questions. Um, you know, what would you like to bring up? There were a couple of questions on the board, but I didn't, I didn't write answers because I figured they could just be asked in, uh, you know, in this context. So if you want to, if you wrote a question and you'd like to bring it up, please do. Oh, it was, it was Karen, oh, and then, yeah. Okay. Uh, I did write you a question this morning. Um, it was about noticing our senses. So I, uh, I found uh, noticing quietly meditating. It's easy to see the transient nature and the impermanence of sensations in the body. Uh, when your eyes are closed, the shimmering that goes on behind closed eyes. Uh, your, your, um, the, the smell and the thoughts passing by. And then when I open my eyes and I see, I'm seeing, the sense of seeing, I get really interesting. I just don't see the impermanence of seeing. Yeah. And I, 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 I've been stuck in that, I realized, for a while. And um, then we went outside. <laughs> and when I'm walking, you know, things are passing by. There's no impermanence there. I'm just sitting. And meditating with eyes open. Yeah, yeah, we are, um, generally speaking, very identified with our seeing, and it's it's harder to 
kind of uh, really deeply contemplate the impermanence of it, you know, to get out of um, or, you know, step back a bit from, you know, how we take it in through the, the, sense, the seeing um, sense. Um, so, you know, one, one thing is that the, the mind is also one of the sense, sense doors, right? So we might not actually see that a tree is changing, but we know that it is. We know that, um, that the sap is, is running, is coursing through it. We know that it's taking in uh, light, it's breathing in and breathing out. Um, we know that it's aging, even though we might not see it, it's changing. Um, you know, we, we know that over the season, you know, gradually the leaves will begin to change color and, um, and as the, the length, the duration of, of daylight, you know, decreases that interacts with the tree and, um, and so the tree begins to change and prepare for dormancy. Uh, so, so we can know that, you know, and we can also know that, um, you know, that uh, impermanence, there are different slopes in terms of the uh, the quickness and slowness of how things change. So, so for example, um, flowers have a, a pretty quick slope. Uh, you know, you see, you know, a flower. You know, the <coughs> the, the cut flowers here. Um, you know, they change and and they fade and and uh, we can see that. Um, so, so uh, other things have a, a much longer, kind of more gradual slope. Like you know, we we may know that you know eventually this will turn to dust, but probably not in our lifetime, right? So, but every time you know I use it, I touch it, I rub it, molecules are coming off in my in my hand, so I can know that. Um, I can contemplate that. I can also contemplate, you know, that that this was dug up. You know, these metals were dug up um, from the earth, and and that um, they their origin was in the birth of stars. Um, you know, so so they they are. Uh, they had different a different form, and then they came together and were crafted into something by human beings. So, um, so we I might not see that it changes, but um, yeah, it's developed some little marks over the years I've been using it. Um, 
sometimes how we see is is affected by how we are you know, in the, that moment. If our minds are you know, very tired or dull, um, how we see the life forms around us or, or the, uh, the objects around us can be affected by how we are. Um, we can see something in a totally new way notice something that we never noticed before. So, um, sometimes if you, if you look, just relax your eyes. Um, you know, we can kind of see that there's a, a bit of a pulsing um, in the image that's coming through the eyes. We may notice that our vision is changing as we get older. Uh, night vision, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there are many ways we can reflect on impermanence <coughs> in seeing. <coughs> Another thing to reflect on is that, you know, what we see is not what's there. We see, we see within a very narrow spectrum of light. So, uh, you know, and 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 a very limited degree of clarity and accuracy. Uh, so, <clears throat> in some insects, can see much broader spectrum of light um, than we do. So. What we're seeing is not actually what's there. It's what our sense organs can take in. Um, an eagle you know, flying over a field will see a very different field than what we see. It's, it's a whole other field for the eagle. I mean, they see like, I don't know how many times better in terms of accuracy and acuity. Um, what we hear is so limited in terms of our range of hearing as well. You know, like, like uh, my dog will, you know, hear. Like, I, 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 she'll hear thunder, you know, and and she'll come down, want to be under the desk, you know, and and uh, and before I hear the thunder, you know, she she hears it. So her hearing is is much better. <clears throat> so yeah, so that's. I think I find that really interesting to to realize that we, you know, this uh, the whole solidity of the world out there, you know, that we posit is out there. It's really arising in our consciousness, you know, and bounded by the limitations of our capacity to see, hear, taste, and so on. Yeah. I have a question about <clears throat> love because I'm just um, I don't experience this, experience it like an emotion I experience it more as kind of the absence of other things so that when other conditions are absent then love is present 
And it doesn't, in, in that sense, it doesn't seem to have um, a cause, really. I mean, I guess it does in a way. I love my daughters, they're my daughters. But I, I just I puzzle about where it fits in and how it almost seems like something that's permanent. Mm. <clears throat> Um, well, uh, that's lovely if, if, if it seems almost permanent to you. Uh, it's, it is, um, it's called an awakened state of, of heart, um, boundless state. Um, and you know, for somebody who's who's awake, uh, you know, there's a there there does seem to be a continuity of awareness, and you know, and these boundless states are very present um, in our lives. Um, and I I think you know I I, I also have that sense of. Yeah, sometimes love feels, you know, emotional, um, but a lot of the times, love and you know, and this quality of of metta, which is just a, you know this sense of goodwill and and kindness, wishing well, um, you know, it it can it can feel, you know, because it's. It can feel uh, more neutral than kind of a, a, a bubbling up kind of uh, energy. As a Brahma Vihara, <coughs> it's balanced with equanimity. So, so there's not a clinging quality. When there's a clinging quality to the love, you know, it's it's kind of mixed with attachment. And I think that uh, in our in our intimate relationships, you know, our dearest friends, our families, um, it's hard to just say, you know, um, I, you know, I'm totally uh, non-attached, uh, I have no agenda, I want nothing from this relationship. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's hard to live from that place, but I find that where, in a way, the rubber meets the road in terms of practicing, you know, uh, a <coughs> a really awakened quality of love is when somebody else's growth and development um, comes up against our expectations, you know, or our preferences or our, our own agendas, you know, so, so, um, if somebody needs to, you know, feels a need to go on retreat and and um, <coughs> uh, you know really work on their their spiritual development, um, then it may it may not be our preference that they go away for three months or whatever, <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, we we can we can give space to that because it's you know we, we know that it will be so beneficial. 
Um, so, uh, so that, you know, or, or your, your kid, you know, says, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go travel the world for a year and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm go, going off to remote areas, maybe that makes you nervous. You know, so, but um, you know, maybe you can trust them to do that. So, so yeah, it's. Um, uh, I, I think that really meta is a deep sense of connection, and it's not necessarily emotional. It can it can feel like commitment? Like you know, a lot of times. As a parent, you know, it, it felt like love felt like commitment. It didn't feel like, you know, bliss. <laughs> Other questions? <clears throat> I, um, with the 16 Tetras, I found it easy because it was divided. You know, the body would be one day. But I'm wondering how I'm going to, should I bring it all together? How do you practice it at home if I want to play with it? Mm. Yeah, so, so what Bhikkhu Analyo said to me um, in terms of teaching it was that it was important for people to get like an overview of the whole, the whole. Uh, four tetrads, you know, 16 steps, and um, and get a sense of how they work together, and then um, and then practice, you know, once that was kind of taken in and understood well, that um, that then practice can kind of be more organic. You might you might um, you might go through all of the all of the 16 steps, you know, in your um, just in the beginning of practice, even just a few breaths, just reminding yourself of them, and then, and then see how practice unfolds. And, and, and in a way, then you, you would know, um, once you had kind of gotten the, just the lay of the land, uh, you know, uh, an understanding of the overview, um, you kind of know, you know, uh, where you're kind of working, and uh, and if you get lost, you know you know you know you can always come back and begin at step one, you know, breathing in and <coughs> and breathing out. Um, so yeah, so I you know I'd encourage you to uh, to get to know the discourse. Maybe you can um, you can. There are some books on the Anapanasati besides. Uh, the one that I named that's coming out in the fall <coughs> by Analyo. Um, there's a book by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, called Breathe, You Are Alive. And uh, there's one by Ra Larry Rosenberg um, called Breath by Breath. And there are also other teachers um, who have written uh, so, so you could read those, uh, look and see what's online. You know, sometimes there are texts online. Um, it's 
sometimes guided meditations. So, uh, yeah, and if you if you want to uh, kind of be in contact with me and uh, and you know like for some suggestions, you know, or or you know, I found this text and I, you know, what do you think of it? And you know, I could, I could get back to you about that. use what you've been teaching me as kind of a, a general idea. You know, maybe not, not get into so much studying of it, but, but um, just trying to relax the body and, and to settle in the body, which for me is difficult. Um, just looking at the retreat that you're offering later on that as well. But, um, and, then, and then trying in that state to, to try, trying to get a more joyful state and a very subtle state and then allowing that to, to look at mental formations and feelings and, and feeling tones. I'm trying to stop that much more than I have in the past. You know, trying to trying to really pay attention to that. Trying to really pay really pay attention to feeling tones uh, so that, that it that they don't you know, go into the big story. Yeah. And so well. I mean, it's just a more general way of well, it's not that general. You're basically, you just recited the first two tetrads. The last one, the knowing one, is not quite there. Yeah, so that's okay. You work with where you are. You know, but, but it is developmental. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that... And maybe in parts, trying to, you know, the parts that I see, trying to improve those by, by reading whatever text I have. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Just, you know, we're, we're following the, the Theravadan tradition lineage. You're following that lineage and teaching us in that style. Um, so, does it matter if we borrow from teachings in the Mayanic tradition at all? Or like concepts, really. You know, like I talked the other day about good and nature, for example. I talked to Jane about bodhisattva, things like that. Is that disruptive or really non secular? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think that's just the nature of how people practice. Um, and you know that's that's the nature of being in a uh, society in which there's so many different traditions, you know, ethnic, cultural, and uh, religious or faith traditions. So, so uh, I think it's it's uh, normal. <clears throat> Sometimes it can cause confusion. Um, so, you know. Uh, I think that's, it depends on, you know, how much confusion and how contradictory the, the, um, the teachings seem. Um, certainly bodhisattva, the concept of the bodhisattva, <coughs> is not at all alien to early Buddhist. Early Buddhist, by the way, is 
the new term for Theravada. <laughs> so you're Okurong. Uh, uh, Theravada is, is actually now seen as a one stream of early Buddhist teachings. Um, and, uh, and that's actually largely to Bhikkhu and Alyo and other scholars who are <coughs> kind of uh, researching the early Buddhist teachings and, and reconnecting with some of the, uh, the things that, that have been sort of lost, dropped, dropped uh, to the sidelines. So there definitely is teaching about bodhisattvas in, in early Buddhist teachings and um, um, not so much spoken about Buddha nature because there is really a um, a caution in these teachings about reifying, you know, that ultimate, the ultimate is is like some kind of thing, like another object in the mind, you know, that it's some. It, it, it doesn't mean that, you know, the Buddha certainly says one can come to awakening, but, but the whole Buddha nature thing is not emphasized as it is in Mahayana. But um, it, it, it's, uh, I, you know, I, I practice in different streams and I, um, I'm inspired by you know, many different streams of Buddhist teaching. I think it's good to get a grounding in one. Um, so if you're drawn to the early Buddhist teachings, then it's good to kind of get a grounding in that and then and then you notice what's a little different and you notice what's the same about other traditions. But there's some really wonderful teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh. I mean, he's considered to be Mahayana and he's, you know, he's sort of between Zen and Vipassana, so he, he does have that Vipassana dimension, but he also is a Zen teacher. So, um, so he brings in some other uh, expressions. That's, he, he, he's probably the one that I most think about with that question in mind, yeah. because I, I really love his teachings when I like reading his book. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's no real contradiction between what he teaches and what, what's available in, you know, from early Buddhist sources. I mean, some, a little bit, but uh, nothing. So, uh, I think it may be time. Is there a question? Okay. Well, I just have one question. quite a bit of time with the Satipatthana Sutta, but much less with the Anasati Sutta. And you mentioned that uh, the Buddha taught them um, in an intertwining way, something around how, in a way, they kind of intertwine with one another. Could you elaborate on I, I, I don't think I said that exactly. Um, uh, I said, you know, what the Buddha says is that you know, in the Anapanasati, he says that the Anapanasati fulfills the 
the Satipatthana, the four foundations or four applications of mindfulness, and 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 in fulfilling uh, the Satipatthana, it also fulfills the wake, the awakening factors. Um, they don't. I mean, they. I taught them in a way in which they were sort of juxtaposed, um, like focusing on one foundation each day, uh, or you know, both. You know, there's a parallel. You know, in the Satipatthana and the Anapanasati, of body, feelings, mind, and dhammas, um, but. They're not strictly uh, kind of intertwined, but but the um, the Satipatthana, it's you know it's good if one has a choice to begin with one and then another. I, I've been told, and I, I really see it as well as I t- as I teach it, that it's good to have a foundation in the in the Satipatthana. Um, before doing the Anapanasati, because the Anapanasati is so, you know, it's so um, succinct and very elegant, and you know, it, it like it, it really how we practice it is is really based on commentaries from different teachers because it uh, needs to be unpacked a little bit, and and having the basis of the Satipatthana will help. Okay, so let's take a quick break. And um Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.